Hi there, and welcome to Magic Time. I'm Scott Squires, and this is our regular season wrap-up with head coach Joe Salerno. And, of course, we're going to take a look ahead to uh, the playoffs coming up in a little over a week and a half's time or so. But uh, we are joined by Coach Joe Salerno. Uh, how you doing today, Coach? Hey, Scott. I'm, uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing really well, actually. Well, first of all, congratulations on uh, a fantastic regular season, 27-13, and 13, top seed in the NBL for the playoffs. Uh, now that the regular season is done and you've had maybe a day to kind of decompress, uh, how does it all feel? It feels great. I mean, it, it really feels great. It felt great waking up this morning, you know, and that's exactly what we're doing today is is decompressing. We're actually still in Windsor, uh, Ontario. We're kind of just taking a day here just to just to relax. No travel, no uh, no basketball, you know, just, just to kind of sit back and, and enjoy, uh, you know, the regular season that we had. And uh, it feels good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of, of this team this year and, and what we were able to accomplish in the regular season. Um, you know, we had, a, we had an awful lot going on. We had a lot of, a lot of adversity all season long and, you know, we just kept finding ways to, to win. And, uh, you know, I think good teams do that. So no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm in a great mood this morning, you know, as I, as I think most of the guys are. And, uh, um, you know, we're going to enjoy it today. We're definitely going to enjoy it today. And then, uh, you know, kind of start getting back to work here, uh, you know, heading back to Moncton tomorrow. Yeah, and you know, you you mentioned the adversity and the different things that this team went through all season long, and certainly hardcore fans of the Magic would be fully aware. But coach, you know, we've been talking all season long, uh, even in the preseason, and uh, a fairly different looking squad now than what you had at the beginning of the year, but a very good squad, obviously, in a deep bunch. But let's go back to the beginning of the year, and and you knew you had a good team to begin with. Uh, and and you knew what your designs were in terms of where you wanted to finish and what your uh, goals were for the season. Where you look at where you were at the beginning of the year was 27 and 13. Is that kind of where you saw your guys panning out? Like, not that you ever knew exactly what your record would be, but as a coaching staff to one another, you know, did you kind of have an idea? Is that, hey, you know what, 25-15, 26-14, 27-13, what was kind of the thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think when we first came into training camp, you know, we really liked what we had. You know, we loved having, you know, guys like Allman and Taylor back and, and uh, you know, signing guys like Billy White and Doug Heron and Jahi Carson. Like, we knew we had a very talented group. Um, you know, we were also very excited for, you know, having a rookie like Gentry Thomas and, um, you know, having Khalees back. So, again, it was it was, it was was good. We I think we knew, you know, we were going to have a, a pretty good team this year. We still had to put the pieces together. Um, certainly never anticipated, you know, some of the things that happened over the regular season in the case of losing guys and, and having to add, you know, really key components throughout the entire season. Uh, but I think, you know, going in, I think any time in this league, just because it's so competitive, you know, I mean, like 25 and 15, um, you know, that's a, that's a real goal. That's a very lofty goal. And I think in my mind, the back of my mind, although I never would have said it, you know, that was kind of the goal that, that I had looked at. Um, if you can get to be 10 games over 500 in the NBL Canada, I mean, you've, you've had a, a really good year. So I think that was kind of the, the number that I had set in mind. I thought that that could potentially get us into like a, a number one seed. And um, so, you know, all season long, that was kind of, kind of my goal. Although I felt, you know, as the season progressed, you know, we, we may be able to, to do better than that. So again, it was just a, 
it was nice to, to really accomplish that and really exceed, you know, kind of what my expectation was at the start of the season. And, you know, in terms of your coaching career in the National Basketball League of Canada, your 27 and 13 record this year is your best. Uh, it uh, is one game better than your 26 and 14 record uh, over on the island with the Storm back in the 2012 2013 season. Last year, you set a record in Moncton for an NBL franchise uh, going back to the days of the Miracles. Uh, 20, 23 and 17 last year, a Moncton franchise had never finished above 500. And then this year, you come out, you beat the best ever mark for a Moncton franchise, you beat your best ever mark for you personally as a coach leading a team, 27 and 13. Uh, with all the ups, the downs, all the, the comings and goings and all the different things, uh, how satisfying has this season been now that the regular season is over? I know lots of work to be done, but right now, how satisfying is it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's definitely satisfying. And, you know, I told the guys that in the locker room, that was kind of the message last night after the game, you know, hey, let's just take a minute, you know, recognize kind of what you've accomplished this regular season. Yeah, I mean, the regular season, it, it's no joke. <laughs> it's 40 games and, and it's a grind. I mean, it, it really is tough, you know, with the travel and, and some of the, you know, back-to-backs you may have and, you know, the injuries we've had and, and all the practices. I mean, you, I just wanted them to kind of, sit back and understand like, Hey, this has been a, a really good regular season. Um, you know, you guys should be proud of that. And, you know, I, I think, I think they recognize it. And, you know, I think right now, I also just told them last night, I said, I'm so proud of you guys right now because right now we are more of a team than we have been all season long when it comes to chemistry and, and our locker room and, you know, the excitement that our guys have for, for other guys when they have good games or when they do well, so, I mean, you know, it's just a, it was a good feeling, you know, last night. And, and like I said, we're fully, fully aware that we've only accomplished, you know, really two of our goals, you know, and we set out kind of three main ones and that was, you know, win the Atlantic, you know, get number one overall and then win an NBL championship. So uh, we're two for three and we, we understand, you know, <laughs> the, the playoffs are a totally different animal and we really have to be playing at our, at our best uh, to make some noise in the playoffs. But I think from where we're at, from a locker room standpoint, uh, I think from a health standpoint, you know, we're going to be getting Evans back here. Um, I think with the time off here, we're going to be fully, fully healthy going into the playoffs. So I like where we're at. And, and again, I just uh, really proud of our guys for just overcoming things all season long and, and sticking together. And, and they truly have come together. You know, right now we, we are a legitimate team and that's just a really great feeling. Well, and that's such an important te- thing because you can have all the talent in the world on paper, uh, but if you, you don't come together and gel as a team, see Boston Celtics. Uh, as a Celtics fan, I had to stick that in, Coach, but uh, it's so very important. Now, let's go back and just talk a little bit about last night's game, uh, the regular season finale on the road in Windsor. And because you clinched first overall last week at home in Moncton, you know, we talked about the fact that that kind of afforded you a little bit of a luxury to maybe rest some guys or tweak with the lineup a little bit going down the stretch. You know, you didn't want to get into any bad habits. You wanted to keep the chemistry going. But last night you were able to give uh, Billy White and Corey Allman the night off. But my goodness, Coach, uh, you talk about the team and guys stepping up, the next man up mentality. Trey Kell, 32 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. Uh, Freddie McSwain Jr., 24 points, 14 rebounds and an assist. Joel and Dondo, hello, 8 points, 15 rebounds, 3 assists. And then Jason Caliste, Mr. Cathreest, 
a big night from outside uh, the arc. Uh, how good was it to see that team play like that last night without a Corey Allman and a Billy White? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it really was great. Um, it was a tough decision, actually, going into that game. It really was. It was something myself, you know, Mitch Rowley and Elvin Mims, we kind of went back and forth on uh, going into that game, you know, what we were going to do with the rotation and with the lineup. And at the end of the day, you know, I think we've been clicking lately and, and getting Trey Kell back in the lineup and kind of moving Corey back off the ball a little bit. You know, we want to continue to kind of build that chemistry and kind of renew that chemistry. So that was, you know, on one side of the coin, we said, you know what, we've been clicking. Let's continue to try to do that, you know, as we kind of head into the playoffs. But, well, you know, having 11 to 12 days in between our final regular season game and our first playoff game, you know, I, I felt whatever chemistry we could kind of build in this last regular season game, you know, we're going to have to renew that over the next two weeks. And, and I just didn't see much of a carryover. So in my mind, you know, the goal was let's make sure a couple of our guys that have played a lot of minutes this season that they don't get hurt. You know, that was a, to me, that outweighed, um, you know, the continuing to try to build a little bit of on-court chemistry. So, you know, sitting Corey and Billy was what a decision I, I made. I think it was actually a little bit against maybe what the, the coaching staff was thinking, but I kind of went with my gut on that. And, um, you know, it also gave some other guys the opportunity to play a lot of minutes. You know, guys have been working hard every day and, in the, the grand scheme of things, I think all that did was just, you know, make us stronger going into the playoffs, knowing that every guy on our team can legitimately contribute, you know, that we really are 12 deep. And uh, I think that does a lot, gives a lot of confidence to the guys that may come off the bench in the postseason. And it also, you know, showed guys like Corey and Billy the other side of the coin. And, and um, you know, they were very positive and kind of being cheerleaders on the bench. So uh, it was great. And those guys stepped up huge. I mean, Freddie McSwain had a career night. Uh, Joel had a, had a great night. You know, I gave him some grief last night. You know, he missed a couple free throws. He could have had his first double-double, uh, which would have been great. But he was he was tremendous and he hit a huge shot, you know, to send us to overtime. So uh, everybody stepped up. And, again, I think that just strengthens everybody's mindset heading into the postseason. So it was it was great. One thing we've talked about, and my broadcast partner Dave Tingley and I on the Moncton Magic home games have talked about it all year, but the NBLC is a transient league. It's just the way it is. Some guys come and they'll stay for whatever reasons, but a lot of guys come into the league and then they move on, taking other opportunities elsewhere. And that was certainly a case with a number of players on different fronts for the Moncton Magic. And I, I say that because some of the things that have happened brought you players like a Trey Kell and like a Freddie McSwain Jr. and like a Marcus Lewis. Coach, have you ever had a year where there's been personnel changes that were maybe uh, things that you had to deal with that were no doings of your own, but then you ended up bringing in guys that actually ended up making the team more of a team, as it were? Can, can you think back to something similar where you thought you had one thing that was great, but you ended up with something that was actually even better? Yeah, not not to this degree, and <laughs> not to this degree. I mean, obviously, every year, you know, you're going to have situations whether you choose to to maybe release a player and bring in somebody new, or or a guy happens to leave. I mean, I've never been in a situation where so many just major, you know, key players have 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 left, you know, for other contracts or or whatnot. Um, and then, you know, ultimately coming up on the other side, maybe, maybe looking better. You know, I mean, I've joked with, with, I think you and Dave uh, Tingley, you know, about, you know, we had 
maybe the top two point guards in the league and Jahi Carson and, and Doug Herring. And, you know, we lost both those guys. And then we brought in a guy like Duke Mundy, who, who was certainly a top probably three or four player, uh, you know, point guard in the league. And, and we felt good about it. And then we lost him and, you know, we happened to, to pick up Trey Cow. And it's just funny that ultimately maybe Trey was, was maybe the better of, of all of them. Maybe he was the best fit for us. Um, because he's just been tremendous. I mean, he hasn't missed a single beat coming back from his from his injury. Um, Trey Kell has been putting up numbers that if he was here for the entire season, I mean, they're MVP numbers. I mean, no no question about it. You know, he just doesn't have enough games played, I think, to to be a candidate on that list. But um, he just does a ton of big things for our ball club, and and he really has kind of fit right in and and uh, maybe even taking us to another level so no I don't think I've been in that situation before Scott but uh I'm certainly not I don't mind it I don't mind being in that situation right now so you talk about the fact that you are going to have this fairly big chunk of time off now and I know that look there's no easy games in the National Basketball League of Canada it doesn't matter who you're playing from either side whether it's your division or the other division it's going to be a tough game every night. So in terms of who you're going to play in the first round, I know that if I ask the question, I'll get the answer. No, it doesn't. It's going to be Cape Breton or it's going to be the St. John Riptide uh, in that first round. Those guys still duking it out to see who are going to be two and three. Uh, how much do you want to know who it's going to be so that you can game plan for them? How important is it for you to have that answer so that you can spend some of the next 10, 11 days game planning. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> no, no doubt. I mean, I can't think of another question right now that, that I'd want to answer more than that. Uh, you know, we're going to know Thursday night, you know, those two teams play, uh, play each other on Thursday night. St. John is actually in Cape Breton. Um, and the winner of that game will actually get the three seed. So we'll ultimately see the loser uh, of that game in the four seed you know, I, I mean, I'd love to know right now because I'm just going to go a little stir crazy, you know, until Thursday night. But at the same time, I think this may allow us to focus these next, you know, really three to four days on on just resting and recovering. Um, you know, trying to take care of our bodies and, and getting guys into, you know, see Johnny at Rehab One, and you know, that can kind of be our focus. And then really, you know, following Thursday night's game in St. Era in Cape Breton, you know, then we have a full, full week, you know, we have a full seven days to prepare for that opponent that we're going to see. So, you know, I'd love to know right now, but the timing of it, I think will still work. I think a week is, is more than enough to prepare for, for a team, especially, you know, we've seen those guys multiple times, um, you know, this year, but, you know, either way, it's going to be a, a tough first round series. I mean, it always is. The playoffs are always tough. We had a a tremendous, a tremendously tough series with, with St. John last year in the first round. Um, you know, so either way, whoever we play, whoever we see, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be prepared. Um, it's going to be a tough series. We're going to go into that knowing it. And, uh, you know, again, we're just happy those first two home games are going to be at the Avenir Center, which has been a, a pretty friendly place for us this season. Yeah, no question about it. 17-3 and three at home. Good luck, anybody coming into the Avenir Center. They might get you one night, but... Tough to get you more than that. You look at St. John, you look at Cape Breton, you know, whoever it's going to be, it's going to be. The other thing, you mentioned Nick Evans. It's almost like you're going to be able to make a, a late season just before the playoff trade because Nick's been out of the lineup so long that you've had to uh, get used to life without him. You've had to adjust and and go other ways. How good is it going to be to get that big man back and to just give you another option? 
Yeah, it's going to be great, and that's exactly what it's going to do. It's going to give us another option. Um, and you know, Nick is just. If you know Nick Evans, then, then you probably know how you know how much he's chomping at the bit to kind of get back in the lineup. But uh, you know, we're looking forward to, to having him back, and he absolutely gives us another option. He can give us a totally different look, um, you know, with his size and, and his ability to step out and shoot the three a little bit and and block shots. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because you know if it's St. John, you know, we very well could could probably see a lot of Nick Evans in that in that series you know, based on their front court, based on, on Mastin and Washington and, and those guys, you know, if it's Cape Breton, we tend to play a little bit smaller, you know, we, we may be running a little bit more of the lineup that we've had with, with Denzel Taylor and Freddie McSwain and Billy. Um, so Nick really kind of gives you that versatility. Um, and so much of the playoffs, it is about matchups. You know, it is about finding the rotation of, you know, eight or nine guys that um, is best for, for the opponent that you're going to be playing so it's going to be great to have Nick back. And, uh, you know, his cast came off on, uh, on Wednesday, uh, last Wednesday. So, you know, he's in the process of rehabbing and he's going to be able to get, you know, at least a full practice uh, back before his first game. So the timing works out well. And one thing you'll hear coaches say uh, quite often when they're talking about a team coming together and gelling is the players trusting one another. And by that, I mean, you get a chemistry on the floor that you trust where your teammate is going to be in an offensive set, or you trust that your teammate's going to have your back on a defensive uh, scenario, or you trust that if you put a shot up that your teammate's going to be there to box out. Whatever the case may be, it's all about trust. And this team has talked all season long about the next man up mentality. You've referenced how this team has become a real team, 12 deep. But maybe just talk a little bit about that trust level, Coach. Where do you see that trust level, and how have you seen it grow? Certainly in the second half of the season. Yeah, it's it's been it's been tough to find a little bit, you know, most of the season. And I mean, you know, granted we've had success, but uh, and that really just has to do with, with different players coming in and out. You know, it takes it takes weeks to 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 fully understand one of your teammates' games and what they're capable of, and and like you said, building that trust uh, amongst one another. Um, I have seen over the last probably four or five games, probably dating back to the, the road game at Cape Breton, um, we have really started clicking, you know, offensively. I mean, the numbers will show that, but also defensively, we've been better. We've been better. Granted, we've played some higher scoring teams like Sudbury and, and, uh, you know, Windsor's a high scoring team. So the numbers may not show that, but, um, we have been much better defensively communication wise. And, and I think that is, you know, trusting, trusting your teammates are going to have help rotation or, or whatever it may be. Um, so I think, again, when I say we've, we've kind of really become a, a true team over the last couple of weeks, um, that's peaking at the right time and, you know, heading into the playoffs. So, uh, I think it's, it's about as good as it's been all season long. Uh, when it comes to the communication and the trust amongst each other and, and just understanding that, um, you know, if, if we run this guy in, uh, you know, everyone understands that he's going to be able to contribute and, and uh, you know, do what needs to be done. So, like I said, I like where we're at uh, from a mental standpoint. You know, we have to try to stay sharp here over the next 10, 11 days, um, which could be a little bit of a challenge. But, um, you know, like I said, I like where, where we're at. Well, just to pick up on that, you know, you're uh, a veteran coach. You've seen a lot of different things. But with that big layoff now, and, you know, certainly this group of guys, as you said, they're clicking at the right time. They've really gelled. They've come together. 
But what kind of things can you do as a coaching staff to keep these guys sharp and to kind of keep them game ready? Look, there's nothing that's going to prepare you. Uh, I should say not prepare you, but nothing's going to compare to actual live in-game competition. But what kind of things can you do as a coaching staff over the next 10 days or so to keep these guys sharp and to keep them at a high level as possible to get ready for game one? Yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, it's a question that we're we're going to be chatting about here over the next day or two and kind of really how we want to map out this next, you know, 10, 11 days. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, it has to be an even balance of, of, of resting guys, uh, getting 100% healthy, um, but also staying in the gym, you know, making sure, you know, so I think it'll be a combination of, of rest, uh, you know, some lighter workouts to start here and, and just kind of making sure we're staying in the gym and getting shots up and, and some running just to, to keep our, our wind and our legs going. And then also, you know, sporadically having, you know, almost kind of mock games, you know, mock real games in practice, you know, whether it's a, a 12 minute game or a, an 18 minute game, um, you know, where we're full and it's officiated in timeouts. And, you know, we'll probably do that a couple of times uh, over the next 10, 11 days just to try to stay sharp. And, you know, you're right. Nothing really compares to, to regular season game. I mean, certainly nothing compares to what you're going to find in a playoff game because intensity is just ratcheted up. So, you know, we just have to be creative and, and find ways to kind of keep that competitive edge on the guys, you know, but these guys are pretty, they're pretty dialed in as far as, checking goals off the list, you know, and, and like I said, they're two for three this season. And, and they certainly, you know, they're very determined, you know, Billy white, <laughs> Billy white is, uh, he's in a bit of a different mindset right now. And it's so funny because, you know, I've personally, you know, between the magic and, and the storm, I've lost to Billy white, a Billy white team, you know, three times in the last three years in a, in a conference final. And you can just see, in his eyes, like the end of the season, like this is kind of winning time. This is kind of, you know, Billy White time. And, and you know, I think that's wearing off on some guys. Like he is all about winning. And I know Corey Allman, you know, wants a ring very badly uh, in the NBL Canada. Um, you know, so it's it's just uh, I think we're going to be all right when it comes to when the ball goes up, you know, for game one. I think we're going to be fine. Uh, but we will try to stay as sharp as possible over the next you know, week and a half, two weeks. And before we move on here, a um, couple of guys I want to talk about. Um, Gentry Thomas is one, but Billy White is another. I've mentioned it before, but I'm a huge fan of Billy White. I always have been, even before he came to the Magic. Um, and, you know, you've said all season long that he was certainly uh, one of the key, if not the key acquisition for this team in the offseason. And knowing what you know, what you knew about Billy White prior to this year, you know, as you said, you lost to him the last three years in a row, a Billy White team. And knowing that he kind of gets that playoff mode activated that you see so often sent out in hashtags or whatever. But now, Coach, what's it like being the coach of Billy White and seeing Billy White get in that mindset and kind of seeing his demeanor change and getting that more of a focused look in his eyes? What's it like to experience being his coach as opposed to being the guy coaching against him? Well, being Billy White's coach is an experience in its own, <laughs> for sure. You know, ups and downs, uh, good and bad. But uh, it's been really great. Like I said, I've just kind of seen it over the last week and week and a half, just in his demeanor. You know, when it came to locking up home court advantage, you just saw it was like a small switch that that Billy turned. You know, he 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 was determined we're we're going to get home court. 
you know, uh, we're, we're going to put a banner up, you know, I mean, th- this is kind of his mindset and, um, that's been really cool to see, you know, you can tell, I mean, you know, people talk about there's, there's gamers, right. There's, there's guys that are just winners and, and Billy White is a winner. I mean, you know, some people may like how he goes about his business. Other people may not, but the bottom line is he wins. And, you know, I said that about him when we were making the trade, you know, earlier this season, it was like, you know what, this guy, when, when it really matters, when it's on the line, you know, I, I want him on our team because he gets it done. He finds ways to win. And, and uh, so it's been really cool kind of seeing him, you know, flip that switch a little bit. And I really look forward to seeing him taking that up even another level uh, come playoff time. And the other guy, um, Gentry Thomas, and, and I wanted to talk about him a little bit just because he was a true rookie. It was a very exciting signing for this team. So much raw talent. But you knew at the beginning of the year it was going to be a work in progress and you kind of had to take him like uh, raw clay put him on that spinning wheel and kind of mold him <laughs> into a player as the season went along early in the season because of um, the Jahi Carson and Doug Herring situation. He was brought into us to more playing time, playing bigger minutes than probably you would have expected. But how have you seen his game develop and what's the biggest difference in Gentry Thomas now compared to the beginning of the year? Yeah, G's come a long way. I mean, I think he's come a long way from a maturity standpoint. Um, well, don't get me wrong. G's been really a, one of the more mature rookies that I've, I've ever coached. Um, but you've even seen him progress uh, and, and take constructive criticism even better, you know, now than he would have earlier in the season. You know, he's, he's still a guy that, you know, decision-making the ball's in his hands so much because he can do so many great things. Um, you know, it's always going to come down to decision-making for, for Gentry. And, and he still, you know, struggles with that at times, but he's gotten better. And, he, and he's just matured, I think, as a person um, and as a player. And, and um, you know, he's had some big games for us over the last, like, two, three weeks. And, you know, I talk about that game back in Cape Breton. I mean, he was unstoppable, you know, down there. And he's really capable of doing those things. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud of G. I think, like I said, he's, he's grown up a lot over the course of the season. He's, he's understood there's things he can do in this league and there's things he can't. Um, he understands, you know, sometimes, you know, coach may have to sit him down. He understands that. I may have to kind of get benched sometimes. You know, I, I have to be able to take, you know, feedback and criticism. And it's only we're only trying to make him better. So I'm just proud of the fact how he's kind of adjusted to that. And, and again, he's only progressed. He's only gotten better when it comes to, uh, continuing to learn, you know, how he needs to play in this league. And uh, he's been good. And, and, and G, I mean, he is a legitimate weapon that you kind of have in your arsenal. And, you know, there's times where if we're struggling scoring the basketball or we've gone on a cold spell shooting, I mean, you can legitimately tell Gentry, hey, I need you to go out there. I need you to get to the bucket. I need you to go out there and make some things happen. And he's going to make them happen. <laughs> there's no question he's going to make some stuff happen. So, I've just loved having Gentry around all season. I'm so glad he was here all season. He stayed healthy. And, um, you know, I just really look forward to continuing to work with G. You know, I hope he has a great postseason. 17 points in 18 minutes last night. A pretty productive minutes for Gentry Thomas. Okay, Coach, uh, we're going to switch gears here in a second and talk a little March Madness. But uh, before we leave, talking about the Moncton Magic and the road that lay ahead. Again, you've been around a long time. You're a veteran coach in this league now. And, you know, you know your guys well, but what is going to be your one key message to your guys at the beginning of this playoff run in terms of what they're going to need to do to have success, to be able to get that, to get that banner? What is the one key message? 
I, I think it's it's just staying focused on exactly what's in front of us. You know, I, I, I you can't you can't get too high, you can't get too low. You know, and and you know you hear coaches say all the time. I think it's a bit of a cliche, being you know staying in the moment. And you know, for us, it's it's legitimately staying focused on the task directly in front of us, and whether that is preparing, you know, to have a good practice, whether it's being completely tuned in for a, a thirty minute film session. Um, you know, whether it's, it's going to yoga and, you know, be just completely dialed in and focused on whatever is in front of you, you know, to be fully prepared for this, this playoff run. And, and that can be, you know, dwindled all the way down, Scott, to, to that exact possession in game one, you know, just being a hundred percent focused on exactly what's happening in front of you right now, not looking ahead, not looking behind, not worrying about the last play or not looking towards, you know, the next opponent, it's right now, you know, staying focused. I think that's kind of my message, you know, to the team moving forward, because when we're, when we're fully dialed in and we, and we really understand five guys, you know, what we're trying to do defensively and how we're trying to defend this guy, you know, and what we think our, our strength is offensively against this opponent. When we are a hundred percent dialed in, like we're really tough to beat. We're, we're very tough to beat. And I've seen that this year um, in multiple games. So, that's going to be my message, and I'll continue to kind of hammer that message throughout the course of the playoffs, focused on what's in front of us right now, um, and I think we'll be fine. Well, after Thursday night, we will know whether it will be the Cape Breton Highlanders or the St. John Riptide, but what we do know is that the first two games of the Moncton Magic playoff run for 2018-2019 will take place at the Avenir Center April 5th at 7 p.m. That's a Friday, April 7th. At 2 p.m., that is a Sunday. So visit MonctonMagic.ca, find out uh, how you can get your tickets, and uh, let's fill the Avenue Center for this tremendous number one seed, the Moncton Magic. All right, Coach, uh, we'll keep it with basketball, but we will switch gears. It's March Madness time. Second uh, year in a row that the Moncton Magic have had a, a bracket challenge, and uh, we filled those brackets in. Uh, I went... With my gut, I don't know what it was, but I went with Virginia. I kind of felt that the sting of being the first team ever to lose to a 16 seed in the first round would kind of fuel this team. They're the top defensive team in the NCAA Division One. They're hanging in. They had a scare, a couple of them, but they're still there. Uh, who, who's your pick for champ, Coach? I, you know, you know, Scott, you're actually. I was, I was talking to you off the air here. I mean, I, you, you've slowly made your way up the the leaderboard, you know, you're not, you're not too far behind you. I think you're probably in six or seventh right now out of, out of 25 people. The pool's actually grown, which is a lot of fun this year. But uh, me myself, I actually took Gonzaga. I took Gonzaga this year. I just think it's their year. I think there's so much hype about, you know, three number one seeds from the ACC, Duke, Carolina, and, and Virginia. I think Gonzaga was a little, a little overlooked, and I think they've played pretty good basketball for the first two rounds. So, I have Gonzaga beating North Carolina uh, in the final, and I'm actually a Tar Heel fan. I've kind of been a, a Tar Heel fan since I was a kid when I when I realized Michael Jordan played for him. Um, but I, I like Gonzaga. I also felt like that may be, you know, one of the teams that most people don't pick you know, as far as our pool is concerned, you know, there's 25 people in our pool. I would guess probably around 17, 18 have Duke winning, you know, and, and closely somewhere in that number. So, you know, I kind of took the little bit of an underdog number one overall and uh, 
I'm pretty happy with it. I mean, I have, I have Duke, I have Gonzaga, uh, Carolina, and Tennessee in the Final Four, so I still have all uh, all Final Four teams kicking. Well, I went back and forth uh, between Duke and Virginia to be the champion, and and again, I just I don't know. There was just something in my gut was like, ah, you know what, Virginia, they're you know they're they're a good team. Uh, they're defensively they're good. Yeah, they play a little slower brand of basketball, but that could suit them well in certain games. And uh, again, I, I just felt that they might have something to to prove here after going out in that first round. So. Virginia, my gosh, that first game after the first half, I was like, what have I done? But <laughs> but they hung around for me. Now, I referenced it, I think, on the broadcast last game, but you and I were talking. Uh, your son, Camden, has got a bracket in, but also your your daughter, Alex. Uh, she did her first bracket, and uh, and I know that there's going to be people listening to this podcast that, that don't know the story of, of how your daughter uh, ended up picking uh, her bracket, but maybe just... Uh, kind of relay that story because she ended up going with two teams that, that you might not think would be, uh, you know, conventional picks. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a funny story. Um, so again, we were filling out my brackets and Camden was just amped. He was jacked to fill out a bracket this year. You know, he filled out the bracket completely on his own. He was pretty excited about it, but, but Alex and I filled those out and, and, uh, you know, there's a couple of teams that Alex was very familiar with and she was very familiar with Vermont, the UVM Catamounts. She knows we're from Vermont she goes and visits her grandparents in Vermont every summer. So, you know, as a five-year-old, she knows Vermont. She's a fan. She thinks, you know, the Catamounts are going to do all right. And then she also knew that her aunt Amber uh, lives in Montana. So she was pretty high on both Montana and Vermont. She was very confident in both of those teams. Uh, mind you, a 13 and, and a 15 seed. But uh, she was feeling great until she realized Vermont and Montana had to meet in the Elite Eight, and she was distraught. And she walked around our, our living room and, and dining room for about 10, 15 minutes, and she just could not decide. But ultimately, she decided to go with the Montana Grizzlies beating Vermont, and she said, you know what, Dad, Montana's going to win the whole thing. So she took uh, Montana. She actually had Montana-Kentucky uh, in her final uh, Kentucky, mind you, beating Colgate in the Final Four. <laughs> but uh, And I think it was because that's the kind of toothpaste she uses, Colgate toothpaste. <laughs> so um, it was a lot of fun. She had a lot of fun. Unfortunately, you know, Montana and UVM have both fallen, but uh, I'm not going to tell her that just yet. Well, that's pretty cool that your five-year-old daughter wanted to get in on the uh, the bracketeering and uh, and made some picks. And I kind of like the thinking. Why not? Like some people go with the the mascot or the team name. Uh, there was obviously no crest in the field, so Colgate makes complete sense. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about quickly. I know who you said who your picks are. What's been the biggest surprise that you've seen so far uh, through the first two rounds? Man, I think I think it's Taco Fall. I think I think it's the big man for Central Florida. I mean, I know they lost last night a game they they very well could have won. You know, upsetting Duke. But uh, he's been my biggest surprise. And I don't think there's been a lot of surprises in this year's field so far. I, I, you know, there's been some close games, but not, not huge upsets and, and, and crazy finishes. Um, it's been pretty chalk. It's been pretty run-of-the-mill. So I think Taco Fall is the biggest surprise for me. And if people aren't familiar, this is obviously the seven-foot-six center for the University of Central Florida. And, um, you know, I'd always read about him. I'd never actually seen him play live but I was just shocked at how mobile he was and 
how great his coordination was. And um, he was real fun to watch the first couple rounds. And we really had a, a heck of a time last night. We actually took, you know, the whole team, we went out to, to Buffalo Wild Wings, um, you know, celebrated a little bit at the end of the regular season and watched March Madness. And, of course, we were there during the Duke-UCF game. And uh, it was a packed house at Buffalo Wild Wings, and it was a really fun environment. And a couple of our guys were extremely into the game, um, which was a lot of fun. But, yeah, I, I think Taco Fall and UCF was, was the biggest surprise, and I would have liked to have seen them knock off Duke last night just because I think it would have been great for, uh, for college basketball. Yeah, that would have certainly been uh, the headline-stealing moment of the tournament so far. And you mentioned UCF, and, you know, we were talking about it earlier when we were talking about uh, the Moncton Magic and and how it's important to stay focused and sometimes that can even come down to an individual play within a game. My gosh, just looking at that UCF Duke game last night from a coach's perspective, you must have just been feeling it for both coaches. You know, Duke having moments where things went their way and then they didn't, but certainly down the stretch, UCF had a couple of moments and a couple of plays where they probably could have swung it in their favor, didn't go their way. Then you had the R.J. Barrett rebound off of the Zion Williamson free throw miss. But as a coach, when you're watching a tight game like that and you're seeing just these little minute plays swing it one way or the other, what's that like to watch from a coaching perspective? Oh, it just made me sick. <laughs> it just made it, it literally just made me feel ill because, you know, I, I, I know the feeling. You know, when, when just the smallest thing, the bounce of a basketball, you know, doesn't go your way, um, you know, or a missed free throw just absolutely could come up to, to kind of bite you. So, no, I mean, I, I it was – it really was sickening to watch. You know, you, you watch, um, you know, Dawkins for UCF, you know, he missed a lob on a point-blank two-on-one that could have made it a six-point game. And then Duke came down and hit a three, and all of a sudden it was a one-point game. And, you know, small things like that, I – I just have a hard time watching. I have nothing to do with Duke basketball or UCF, but it was just so hard because I've, I've kind of been in situations like that. You just feel helpless. You know, you just you just do. You look up to the basketball gods and you say, what else do we have to do here? You know, give us a bounce. Um, but it was, it was fun to watch. And, I mean, hey, you know, give credit where credit's due. You know, UCF is no slouch. And, yes, it would have been a great upset. But, uh Duke hung in there, and, and they made the plays uh, that mattered to win the game. That's right. They don't ask how. They ask how many. But it's interesting as well. You know, one of the reasons I love sports so much is because it's unscripted, and you truly never know what's going to happen. That final sequence, you see it down by one, six or seven seconds on the clock. They get the ball inbound, uh, dribble penetration to the basket. The layup goes up. It's a miss. And Dawkins is there for the little tap back, and it rolls around the rim, and it looks like it might go down. It doesn't. But just think about that for a sec, Coach. And I know that you do, <laughs> you've probably been there. But that shot drops. The narrative changes completely, and the entire outlook of this March Madness changes completely. Hey, can you think of a time, either for the positive for you or where it's gone against you, where there's been kind of that last-second play where – if it had gone one way, it would have worked out, but it went the other way. Is Can something off the top of your head, does it pop into your mind right now? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know if it was – I mean, I've had a few kind of plays like that, but, I mean, um, you know, for me, 
I think it was it was game six of a, a conference final against Halifax a few years back, and you know we were up we were up two with about 50 seconds left in the game, and we had the ball, um, you know, on the sideline. We had taken a timeout, advanced the basketball, and you really just need to get it inbounded um, and have a good possession. And you know we ended up getting a five second call on us, and in all honesty, it was about three and a half. So it was a quick count. It was a quick count. There's no question about it, but um, you know, that completely changed the last minute of that game. You know, Halifax got the ball back and they ended up scoring. We went to overtime and, you know, a small thing like that, just a, a quick count by an official, you know, um, really changed a lot of the outcome of the game. If we'd been able to get the ball inbounded, it, it could have changed immediately. Um, you know, I think back to, to a, a conference or a, uh, a playoff series we won against St. John years back where a guy, you know, named Mike Williams who played for me, you know, he hit a, a walk-off buzzer beater in game five of the first round. Um, and I think about it, we had no timeouts left, you know, in that game. And St. John had scored with about six seconds left to, to tie the game. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry to go up one. And we had no timeouts left. And, and really, it worked out better for us. There was a scramble, and we just kind of pushed the ball and found Mike Williams, and he hit a, he hit a buzzer beater uh, to win the game. And you know, it makes you think if I had a timeout left, I probably would have taken it and advanced the ball and trying to draw up a play. But, um, you know, we didn't have any left and it ended up working out that well. So, you know, it's it's great. That's why sports are great. You're right, because it's, it's unscripted. You really never know what's going to happen. Guys are going to make plays. Guys are going to miss plays and um, keeps things exciting. So, yeah, I think every coach has some stories like that. And you know, we've all been through it to some degree or, or another. Well, Coach, uh, we're going to wrap it up here. And, uh, again, congratulations on the tremendous regular season. Uh, you've been to an NBL championship a couple of times, but never with home court. So we are excited to see what's going to unfold here in the coming weeks as the Moncton Magic begin their playoff run. But, again, congratulations to you and the organization, the players, and everybody involved in a, in a tremendous regular season. And uh, we can't wait to see you get going in the playoffs uh, April 5th and 7th for your first two games at home, Coach. Okay, Scott, thanks a lot. Thanks for the time, and thanks to you. You know, thanks to you for everything you've done for us this uh, regular season. Um, you know, it's been great, and look forward to, uh, to more of it come, uh, come the postseason. It is going to be a blast. So uh, good luck over the next uh, few days and uh, leading up to the playoffs. But we're going to talk to you again now between now and the beginning of the playoffs. But next time we talk to you, we'll know your opponent, so we'll dig a little deeper maybe into that first-round matchup. That sounds great. All right, Coach, thank you very much. That is Coach Joe Salerno of the Moncton Magic. His team wrap up the regular season last night with a 119-114 overtime victory in Windsor against the Express. They finished 27-13 and on the season. All is left to know now for the first round is who their opponent will be. Will it be the Cape Breton Highlanders or the St. John Riptide? That information will come our way at the conclusion of the St. John game in Cape Breton on Thursday night, as Coach alluded to earlier. The winner of that game will solidify the number three seed, and therefore the number four seed will play the top seed, Moncton Magic. You got it all straight? Well, if not, visit the National Basketball League of Canada. They'll have it all broken down for you. A big thank you to Coach Joe Salerno for joining us today from Windsor as the team gets ready to come back to Moncton in the next day or so. And of course, a big shout out and a thank you to our fine presenting sponsors, at St. Louis Bar and Grill with locations in Moncton and Dieppe. And you can find St. Louis Bar and Grill Moncton Dieppe on Facebook. I'm Scott Squires. Thanks again for tuning in live to Magic Time, the regular season wrap-up. Until next time, remember, friends, 
If you can't take part in sport, be a good one anyway. Bye for now. Prepa